our scriptures again from James chapter 5, 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Strong words. Strong words. And too often as we study through these scriptures, we find words such as these. Words that if they're left out of their context would sound exactly as if God were pronouncing final judgment upon eternally reprobate unbelievers. Those words again. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now, Bible commentators do vary on their thoughts as to who these words are directed towards. But I'm convinced that God is here addressing believing Christians with these very strong words. Men who at one time had fully given their hearts to Christ, but then somehow drifted back into a kind of lifestyle and behavior that's part of that broad path that we're warned about. And it's important for you and I to know the distinction between these that he's writing to, whether it be believers or unbelievers. And I've said I'm convinced that he's writing these words to believers And how can we know that God is writing to believers and not unbelievers? It's because from the beginning words of this book, and then over and over again throughout these chapters, framed within the words my brothers and the word brethren is that familial expression that bespeaks fellow believers in Christ. Listen again to these words, the very first words of James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. And listen, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Notice he's talking here to Christians. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now clearly, those words were addressing Jewish believers, men and women who have placed their faith in Christ. But once they had placed their faith in Christ, they had been so persecuted for their beliefs that they were then forced to flee from Israel and move to neighboring countries. And that's who James is writing to, these Jews who are in the dispersion, Jewish believers who are in the dispersion. They've been dispersed throughout these other nations. And so he's writing to believers, people who have given their lives to Christ. But listen, what has taken place between those first joyous moments when these brothers in the Lord first humbly surrendered their lives to Christ 
And then here, only a few short years later, very short time, when God finds it necessary to give such a stern rebuke and correction to them. What has taken place within their souls between that time just a few years ago when they first gave their lives to Christ and now He's saying these words to them? What's taken place? It's one simple but profound set of events. These people have prospered. These people have prospered. They have suffered in their persecution, but then God being the loving Father that He is, was ever and always with them. Wherever they went, He was making provision for them at every point, pouring out blessings upon them. And that's what a good father does. That's what a good father does, and that's what God has always done for His chosen children, the Jews. And history testifies to it. As the Jewish people have been forced from one place to another all around the world, and recently, until 1948, they didn't even have a homeland for 1,500 years. But without fail, God and His blessings followed alone behind them, helping them to prosper wherever they would settle. And again, yes, there were many seasons of suffering for them, especially in those times when His children would turn away from Him and follow other gods. But invariably, invariably, as they would turn back to Him, God would pour out His blessings time after time, and literally everything that they would touch was successful. And even to this day, here in America and in Europe, blessings have been the absolute norm for the Jews. God pouring out blessings without measure upon them, especially in the financial marketplace. Untold numbers of Jewish people have found financial success so much so that most of my life and most of your life you have heard unkind comments being made about the Jews. And especially people saying those Jews, they own and control everything. Disparaging remarks speaking about this great wealth that the Jews seem to control throughout our world. And that seems to have been the case with these fellow Jewish believers that James was directing these words of rebuke to here in chapter 5. Now again, in fear for their lives, these people had fled to these neighboring countries. And there, with God's hand of blessing upon them, they had immediately found success. But then something went terribly wrong. Something went terribly wrong, which prompts the question... What did these people do with the blessings that God poured out upon them? Did they manage their blessings well? And the answer is given to us here in James' word. No, they did not manage their blessings well. Not at all. Apparently the sinful nature that's present within all people's hearts immediately began to do its demonic work. And these people began to succumb to the temptations and the sins that so often follow along with riches and power and success. And folks, listen, therein lies one of the most subtle of all the entanglements that Christians will ever encounter regarding finances, that you and I will ever encounter regarding finances. It's the pitfalls that are present 
when we attempt to manage our blessings. Now that might sound a little odd to you. And it probably sounds odd to most people that would hear it said. Because we always seem to think, if I had the money that those wealthy people over there have, then my troubles would be over. How many times have you thought that? Let me assure you, you have thought that. That is the normal way of thinking. If I just had their money, I would do things my way. And I would be happy. But listen, so very often that is not the case, and especially with us Christians. We Christians have a history of not managing our blessings well. And that seems to be true from the poorest person to the very wealthiest person. However, with that being said, may I observe that it does seem a somewhat easier chore for us lower income folks to manage our blessings than those who have greater wealth. It seems an easier chore to manage little than it does to manage a lot. The more money we have, the more options that are available to us, and it's in those options that seem often to be the stumbling block and the beginnings of our troubles. As for myself, for most of my adult years, our family having income near that poverty line, our lifestyle usually reflected our income level. Having very little, our management of the blessings we received was not a very difficult chore. And may I add, for myself, it was especially not too difficult because my sweet wife managed our finances for us in the family, and she did so very well. But we generally just tried to keep our ship afloat and not go into debt. But now with that being said, as a family, we never seemed to lack the basics and then always to actually have some extras because God was providing. But as I've observed within myself and within others, regardless of our actual financial condition, in our weaker moments, most of us do seem to think ourselves to be poorer than we really are. Do you think yourself to be poorer than you really are? I know for myself, when I get tempted to compare my provision, my house, my car, my paycheck, to some of my neighbors in the more upper crust parts of town, I can really find a reason to whine, to actually whine a bit about being poor. Do you? But listen, the real truth, the real truth is you and I are not poor at all. We are not poor at all. If we have those things that I just mentioned, a place to live, a car, food to eat, we're actually ranked in the top 5% of all the people in the world. You realize that? If we just have those things, those basics of life, we're in the top 5% of the people in the world. We are not poor. Then also I've observed that many of the very wealthy people of the world have some of those same symptoms about their money as do you and I. Wealthy people, they seem always to not only want 
but to believe that they actually need more and more money. A friend of mine who is fond of quoting sayings by his father would tell the story of when his father would be asked how much money he made, not wanting to tell them how much money he made, he would simply say, not enough, not enough, never enough. Now, though his father's response might have been seen to be lighthearted, it probably reflected the true feelings of his heart. Our wealth, whatever its level, seems never enough. And it's never easy to deal with. The human soul has so many nooks and crevices within it. And when it comes to this matter of managing our blessings, all sorts of destructive attitudes and pitfalls can surface. And that seems especially so when a person begins to accumulate a lot of money. As we mentioned earlier, that's when another factor within wealth can begin to rear its ugly head. Along with wealth and position usually comes a measure of power. Power. And power will often turn out to be the most difficult and most hurtful of all of our management strategies as we manage our blessings. Turn again with me to our scripture passage. And I want you to particularly notice how the combination of having great blessings and then also power can bring very corrupting behavior into the life of an otherwise devout Christian soul. James 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich, speaking to rich people, these people that he has blessed with success. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now remember the context of these words. This rebuke was written to fellow believing Jews. (coughs) Excuse me. Fellow believing Jews who, in their dispersion there into those foreign lands, have been so blessed by God that they have become enormously successful and wealthy in their business ventures. But then, look at what these words tell us took place as they managed their blessings. Their management took this corrupt turn there in verses 2 and 3. They tell us that these people gained so much wealth that it just sat idle and unused. So much so that it began to rot and be moth-eaten. They had so much gold and silver sitting there idle, untouched, that it corroded from lack of use, from lack of being touched. And then in verse 4, though, we see the management problem. And while that money kept accumulating, 
and being unused. Verse 4, Behold, the wages of your laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Now reminder, these owners are Christian businessmen, most likely dealing with other Christian businessmen. Here they're mowers and they're harvesters. But the owners found ways, corrupt ways, to cheat their fellow Christian brothers. And their behavior is especially egregious, especially wrong, because it's not as if these owners were running short of money and unable to pay their harvesters and their mowers. Not at all. These owners had so much excess gold and silver that they never touched, and it corroded while it was sitting there, unused. These men had become corrupt to their soul. But listen, little did they realize it, but nothing gets past the all-knowing eyes and ears of God. Verse 4, The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now listen, yes. Yes, it's true. Our loving Father is a God of love. We hear that preached so often in churches today. God is a God of love and He really, really is. And He proved it to these people by engineering their success. And He made provisions for them. And He makes provision for each of us. But He's warned us. He has warned us just like He's warning here. And especially in Ecclesiastes 12. There... God reminds all of us to remember our Creator in the days of our youth. In those years that we, are, we spend acquiring and accumulating wealth. He says, remember your Creator in the day of your youth because there will surely come a day of accounting for your behavior. Listen to these words in Ecclesiastes 12. He says, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For, listen, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Yes, God is a God of love, and He makes all of these wonderful provisions for us. But listen, God is also perfectly just. And there will surely come a day of reckoning when our God of love will rain down wrath upon the sins of those that choose to do and, and to manage their blessings in the way that they're warned about here in these words. He will rain down wrath upon their sins. Now, if we're truly saved, we will not lose our salvation. But still, listen, this warning is real. And God will carry it forward. If we become guilty of mistreatment of our fellow men, if we want more and more money so badly, and again, that's at our level. God is speaking to us at our level of finances. We're not real wealthy, but these same standards apply to us at our level of wealth. If we become guilty of cheating other people so that we can gain 
He's warning us here that before we close our eyes in death, God will surely call us into account and we will surely suffer the consequences. Consequences that we never reckoned on while we were still accumulating and willingly cheating other people. So then, for you and me, may I ask, how do we, how do you, how do I manage my blessings? Do we manage whatever we have in a godly way? Are you managing your blessings in a godly way? Do you even invite God into the conversation and how you spend your money or don't spend your money or whether or not you've cheated someone? I often think of the situation where you're walking through a checkout line at the department store and the cashier gives you back $10 too much money. What do you do with that $10? If you walk out with it, you have just become a thief. It is not your money. But what is your attitude towards that whole circumstance? That's what God is talking to us about here. How do we manage the blessings that He's giving to us? Because He will bless us. He will take care of all of our needs. Do we go through our day fearful that we'll not have enough? Are we thankful for what we do have? Or do we hear complaints coming out of our mouth? How do you manage your blessings? Do you ask God to guide your thoughts and your behaviors as it regards the blessings that He has showered upon you, and especially in your finances. How do you manage your blessings? God says to us, Do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things, all the things that you and I need will be added to you. Let's pray.